Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, this is Maggie, and on this episode, we are returning to our Best Pictures with the 64th winner, The Silence of the Lambs, which I know Maggie is so excited about. (laughs) We're finally doing it, the one that um, I know a lot of people have been looking forward to. Um, So, uh, Silence of the Lambs is a 1991 psychological horror film. That's right, folks, a horror film. Um, So I'm just going to say up top, like big trigger warning for a lot of disturbing content and then also especially violence against women. Yeah, this was not the first time I watched it because Patrick loves this movie. Just disturbing. Um, Yeah, like on second watching, I'm like, hmm, should I be concerned for my personal safety? And no, no, I really shouldn't. Like, just to, to, again, clarify, I'm not concerned for my personal safety. But like, it, I had forgotten half of how bad it was. Like, it's so amazingly well done, but incredibly brutal. Like, I think the closest analog I have is... um, Platoon. Yeah, Platoon. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say I have been uh, finding ways to delay watching and covering this movie. Um, Nobody could tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, did I think it was an extremely well-made movie that effectively accomplished everything it set out to do? Yes. Did I enjoy the experience of watching it? Absolutely not. And I mean, that's fine. We've talked about that a lot where not all movies are for everyone, but I totally agree with the exceptionally well done part and it accomplishes everything. So yeah. Fun fact, I was supposed to watch this with a real life best friend and friend of the podcast, Lola and her five pets, but Lola got COVID. So I had to watch this alone with no pets to cuddle. I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me that? (laughs) Because I wanted to get your reaction on tape. Well, I'm glad you found a way to get through it. (laughs) So the entire time we're covering this, I want everyone to know I did this alone. I mean, just don't help people ever, ever again. Like, no, they, fuck nobody strangers. needs help. <laughs> fuck strangers, fuck their vans. <laughs> um, anyway, as I was saying, 1991 psychological horror film. It was directed by Jonathan Demme and written by Ted Talley. It was adopted from a Thomas Harris novel from 1998 of the same name. It stars Jodie Foster. 88 or 98? 98. It should be 88. because otherwise it would be time travel (laughs) anyway it stars Jodie Foster unless you want to like start that again no we're good um yep 88 um because else it would be time travel oh my goodness I feel like we should just leave that in (laughs) I'm going to um we got to get the humor where we can in this episode Um, So it stars Jodie Foster, Ted Levine, and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, It also, in a supporting role, has Scott Glenn, who we talked about in our previous episode on Silverado. Our last three episodes have been linked, Ian. I am shocked. Because, hold on. Scott Was Scott Glenn uh, the one psychologist? Crawford. Oh, he was Crawford. How did you not recognize Scott Glenn? Because I am horrible at recognizing people if they're in movies. <laughs> That's the best answer that I have for you. Okay, yes, now I... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just had to look at a picture of him, and now I remember. 
It is the third and most recent film to win Academy Awards in all five major categories. Those categories are Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Adapted Screenplay or Original Screenplay, depending. Do you remember what the other two were? We've already covered them. Um, I'm going to assume that one is Gone with the Wind. No. Oh. Because I think Clark Gable lost out to, I think it was Robert Donat for Goodbye, Mr. Chips. So I don't think it won actor. I'm like genuinely Wait, really one thinking. Is a, one is from the 30s. Casablanca? That's from the 40s. But that was, a, I, like, I feel like that's not a bad guess. <laughs> it's not a bad guess, but that's not one of them. Yeah, I don't remember. It happened one night. <gasps> How did I not remember? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, from 1934 and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975. This feels like it has a similar vibe to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, just more violent. Like uh, It's violence and scariness is not um, shrouded in a patina of sterilized uh, white psych ward. True. Very true. It's uh, a lot more real to say the least. Grounded. uh, Let's not call it real. (laughs) Freaks me out. I watched this on Friday night. The last two nights before I've gone to bed, I have checked that all of my doors are locked like five times. I mean, I'm glad that you're taking control of your personal safety. So good. But also I feel like I need to get you a dog now to to, like guard you in the night. (laughs) Yep. Um, again, was supposed to be able to watch this with uh, two dogs and three cats present who could have guarded me and made me feel safe and was not able to. Um, This is the only Best Picture winner that is widely considered a horror film and one of very few to have been nominated. I am not surprised just from my limited, I should say like very limited and shallow understanding of the fact that horror tends to be sidelined as like not true art. Um, but if there is horror that is true heart, I think that Silence of the Lambs is a really great example because just art direction is maybe not the right word for it. But between the visuals, the way the sound comes into play and the impeccable performances, like it is top notch. Again, well done. Not enjoyable, <laughs> but well done. Um There is has definitely been and we'll get into this more when we start talking about the movie. There's definitely been like some criticism and critique from like the feminist and LGBTQ plus community um, that I think is very fair. And we will, I think, get into that when we talk about individual scenes, because I think there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, it definitely falls into the disappointing historical trend of the main villains being uh, not cis straight white people (laughs) so like again it's conflating you know gender identity with being a bad person which is not at all reality so not here for that yeah and i think yeah we'll we'll talk more more about it um so the film was primarily filmed in and around pittsburgh um yeah i've definitely driven by the buffalo bill house before it is much less creepy on a sunny day in the middle of summer. I'll just put it Refu- that way. I, re- I refuse to believe that. I refuse <laughs> to believe that. Um, the FBI did allow scenes to be filmed at the FBI Academy in Quantico, which is like super rare. And again, won quite a few awards. So Jonathan Demi won for Best Director. Anthony Hopkins wins for Best Actor. 
not at all surprising. He's great. Um, apparently he modeled uh, the voice for Hannibal Lecter off of a mixture of Catherine Hepburn, Truman Capote, and HAL 9000, the computer from Two I Space was Odyssey. going to literally say, like, okay, I, like, in all fairness, I need to see 2001 A Space Odyssey. But I know the voice. And also some of, honestly, the frames of Anthony Hopkins reminded me of some screenshots that I saw from from that movie. So He's so still. It's, and doesn't blink. And it, just, he blink, oh my he God. He blinks less than Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. At least he's forthright with his fraud. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jodie Foster wins for Best Actress. That becomes her second Oscar win. I think she is also phenomenal in it okay so potentially controversial thing that i'm about to say at the very beginning i was getting like early career Kristen stewart and then she like pulled the stops out so i i know it's really weird for me to say that but like it felt like some of the stony expressions and kind of monotoneness um which again she deserves that win so i'm i was happy with how that character like evolved in her performance just got so good and layered yeah i they definitely like as the the stakes start ratcheting up and like the story gets more and more intense like you definitely start to see these emotional layers to her and she does a phenomenal job yeah Um, and really quick i do also want to say that late like Kristen stewart lately i love so again (laughs) i want to be clear this is like twilight Kristen Stewart. <laughs> um, excuse you, Twilight is a masterpiece. I would defend that movie. Hey, just because the movie is a masterpiece does not necessarily mean that her performance was top-notch. Many strong choices are made in that movie, and I respect it. Um, Ted Talley wins for Best Adapted Screenplay, as I mentioned. It was also nominated for Best Film Editing, which I I see. Um, and it was nominated for Best Sound, which oh, I also good. definitely see. So good. I kind of wish it had won on sound, though, but I, I don't know what it was up against. Let's see. Uh, Terminator 2 won for oh, sound. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see why that would have beaten it out. I've actually seen Terminator 2. Surprise. I so <laughs> I feel like Silence of the Lambs should get it on sound. Like, it's not as flashy, mm-hmm. but, like, what they do with it is so much more, like, intense and effective. Yeah. Sound is just so crucial to the horror genre, I say, as someone who does not does not watch horror. The movie was number 65 on AFI's like top 100 movies list. Uh, During their 10th anniversary edition, it dropped to number 74, but stayed on the list. It is number five on AFI's top thrills. Um, Clarice Starling is number six for heroes on their top heroes and villains. Hannibal Lecter is the number one villain. I don't know how they did it with him, but he is one of those omnipotent, like omniscient sort of villains that are actually believably so. That's the thing that kills me. It's like normally when you have those sorts of characters, they're completely unbelievable. And you're like, eh, that would never happen. This dude is terrifying. Yes. Well, it's like Michael Myers from Halloween, right? Like, it is kind of like your faceless killer, but you're also like, he survives multiple gunshots, a <laughs> hanger to the eye, like, all of this stuff. You're like, to a certain extent, like, he's not realistic. He feels kind of more like an old school universal monster than he does like an actual person. Hannibal Lecter is far too real. <laughs> oh, yes. 
Oh my God. Ooh. Buffalo Bill was also nominated for top villains. Didn't make the list, um, which I think is very okay with that. <laughs> I'm also very okay with that. Um, the movie has the number 21 top movie quote with a census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. I hate the way he says Chianti. It's Chianti. Okay. But Fuck isn't that a Hannibal beautiful Lecter. characterization of him? I hate him. No, because he's supposed to be all refined and shit, Ian. Don't say Yeah, Chianti. but also it's there to like throw you further off balance. It's, oh. Or it's there for me to latch onto and nitpick as the defense so, mechanism. So uh, we should move on now. No. <laughs> um, last little bit of background um, I have. So other nominees from that year. Bugsy, JFK, The Prince of Tides, and the movie I wish we had gotten to watch, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, interesting. That's I didn't realize it had been nominated for Best Picture. It's the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture, and I think the only other two are Up and Toy Story 3. Really? I thought that Snow White got some nod somewhere, but maybe i No, I'm... I think it might have gotten a special Oscar. Okay. Oh, that's fascinating. And, and this is when, I can't remember if this is before or after they have the category for Best Animated Film. Oh my God, Up got nominated. I'm about to start crying. Just think about it. Oh, Here's no. the thing with Up. This is, this is going to get cut, but it's like my controversial opinion on Up. Up as an entire movie is fine. Most people think it's the best because they just remember that first 10 minutes of it. Oh, which the first is absolutely 10 minutes should phenomenal. have been a short. Like yeah. that would have been a Pixar short and it would have killed. The first 10 <laughs> minutes is heart-wrenching and absolutely unbearable. The rest of the movie is forgettable. Uh, correct, because that's the only part that I remember. <laughs> Anyway, shall, shall we watch notes? I mean, sure. So I, I fucking love the introduction, well, the introduction <laughs> <laughs> to Jodie Foster's character, Clarice Starling. Cause My very first note is don't like how both the music and the weather is already spooky. Oh my God. It was like the mist meets the FBI training camp, but it positions her really well as like a strong, independent driven, like recruit for the FBI. Now I wasn't a huge fan of the data dump once she got into Crawford's office, but I think it was fine and set the stage for kind of her position in the FBI as a whole and in the investigation more widely. See, I thought it was one of the better, like to a certain extent, it's a little hard to get around data dumps a lot of the time, I think. Um, I thought this did one of the better jobs of like setting up stuff and especially kind of establishing Buffalo Bill and like the menace that he is Mm -hmm. pretty seamlessly through dialogue. Like that didn't feel Mm -hmm. too like odd or unrealistic. Um, I do think we got a little bit too of establishing Clarice as like a little bit of an outsider um, because, you know, she is running the course alone. And we do see her interact with like another female FBI recruit. And I like like their friendship and the sense we get from that, even though it's not like often like that often throughout the movie. But I like that there is like this sense of friendship and camaraderie there. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a bit of an issue (laughs) with the fact that she is a recruit. Like, there, there isn't another, like, qualified, full female agent that could have done this. Well, here's the thing. I think that's very deliberate. So if you look at the way other 
mostly male recruits glance at her. The scene of her in the elevator, a whole like two heads shorter than everyone around her. Which they, I love, they do this multiple times where they film as if from her point of view and it's like seeing all of the like male gaze on her. Mm -hmm. And it's usually with people like taller than her too. To kind of get that sense of like being the only woman in the room. But like Ian, there wasn't one full-time agent. It just, it's... No. (laughs) I mean, it is is a critique, but I I do think that heightens kind of the um, exceptionalism of that character. In that she has been brought in on this. So I, I don't know. I'm Which I have mixed feelings about of being like, in order to be the one woman in the room, like you have to be exceptional. Whereas you're surrounded by all these mediocre mediocre white men, because yeah. most of the time it's it's white men. But isn't that like the most realistic read it could be? Like I was Yes, which like... is on a, <laughs> it's which is disturbing on like a whole nother level. I mean yeah, they, they start you off kilter and they never write the boat. So like. <laughs> I was uncomfortable on so many levels throughout this entire movie. I mean, and I think that is the why. It's the point. Part of, yeah. It's the and point. part of why it's so great because it has I this. I hated it. They get you at all like layers of your consciousness. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> anyway. It's the fucking worst. <laughs> oh, but the cut to the asylum is masterful i'm kicking myself for not writing down the line um but it's like oh what did lector do or something like that and it's oh he's a crazy serial killer da 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 eats his victims that sort of thing i appreciated um that they didn't show us the photo we just had to see people's reactions which is both better and worse Oh, it's now it's so up to is. your imagination. And this is why I think the casting of Anthony Hopkins in this particular role was the best choice you could have made. Because you have all of this buildup as she is talking to... Um, Chilton. Chilton. I can never is, remember his name. Immediately, he's immediately an asshole. Like, well, yeah. He's like, oh, do you want to go out on the town if with the right guide? Ugh, dude. He He's hitting on her. He also, like, is rude to her about, like, how like why she's there very dismissive like he's basically being like you yes like you're only here because you're a woman not because like you also are top of your class didn't you love her quip about i graduated uva it's no charm school like she has some really good quips and that is why at least from my view which again i am not a woman we're operating in society uh so Maggie, tell me I'm wrong if you want. Um, But I I did appreciate that they at least positioned her as, you know, having a spine and calling this shit out. And she does it a couple times throughout the film where I'm like, good for you, Jodie Foster slash Clarice. Yeah, um, I I do think, like I said, I I read uh, several like feminist critiques of the film and they were like, it never takes like a hard stance on feminism or anything. But I, I, from my point of view, I thought it actually... Like, you know, despite all of, like, the horrible stuff and, like, the violence against women and stuff, I do think it was making a commentary on, like, the way society, you know, then and still now treats women and mm-hmm. how, like, it isn't okay. And I I thought it was almost, like, wonderfully subtle. Um, that is, of course, my interpretation. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how I felt about it. Yeah. No, I, that's, I share that opinion, but again... That's based on my own experience. So, um, 
But the introduction to Lecter, so we get this huge buildup going through about a million different locked doors. And that point and where you talked- red lighting. That was the part where it like really took a horror turn. And you get a little bit of pressure that release. That was the part where it took a horror turn? Well, the, fir- the, the first big part. Yeah. Yeah. We we had the article that says Buffalo Bill skins five victims or whatever in the background already. Yeah, but is that really like hap this is gonna sound horrible, but like that's not hasn't it's like not happening to our character yet. She's not in it yet. But she's about to be. <laughs> but that red light, that's the first thing. You get like this beautiful little bit of pressure release with the orderly, who is just a delight. He's the one he's the one who's like the one like person who is any sort of encouraging. Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting choice that some of the lowliest of the employees in that asylum are going to be the most positive and most encouraging. Just like, again, commentary on the the impediments that are in her way. Well, also just like, yeah, a little bit on like power structure too, mm-hmm. right? Like it's always the people at the top who you're questioning the most and like, even Crawford, who I'd say is mostly good, like there are a couple things that Crawford does that you're like, okay, that wasn't exactly correct. Yeah. One of those things they specifically mentioned, and I'm glad that she calls him on his shit. But um, so the way that they film her walking down to Lecter's cell With is a shot of the chair. And it's like a little bit shaky. Yeah, and it's, again, her point of view. It's mm-hmm. the shot of the chair at the end of the hallway, like the lone chair. And he, she gets to pass the the three inmates that are varying levels of violent and disgusting. Um, and she finally makes it to, to Lecter, who, again, with that cycle of like building and releasing that tension, you get this huge buildup. And then Lecter is there very calm and proper and talking about how you want to build respect and like have a conversation and like it's creepy as hell and anthony hopkins is amazing the whole thing with hannibal lecter is it is like this absolute monster under a very thin layer of like seeming politeness but the entire time he's toying with whoever he's talking to and you know it's happening and Clarice knows it's happening too but she has no other option because they need his help to find Buffalo Bill as she comes to find out Crawford didn't clue her into it when he sent her fucking into this um I also have a note in all caps that I would like to call out and that is do not approach the glass it was the one thing you were told not to do multiple times but is that not the best way to again ratchet up that tension as she's like approaching the glass and you're like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen Clarice <laughs> this is the first time that I shouted just no at my television and I proceeded to do that Many times throughout the film. Like, I don't think it was quite at like a hundred, but it was like definitely in the dozens where I'd be sitting there and I'd just be like, no, don't. Yeah. Now, the that conversation, again, it's amazing watching those two. They love a extreme close up, especially of Hannibal Lecter and his unblinking eyes. And you know, my favorite thing that they do here to like unsettle you even more, they 
do not have an established like 180 degree line. It's like full. They're, they're skipping over that as you look straight on to each of the characters. And it is the most like unsettling way that you can cut a scene. And it's so disorienting, but because you have these larger than life faces on your screen, it's just like terrifying too. So again, all of this stuff is like adding up to such a, Oh, they're like pulling out all the tricks and it's working. <laughs> your face says that you don't like it and that's fine, but it's masterful. <laughs> I'm like curled up in a ball in my chair while we record. I'm like, ugh. I had like a visceral reaction to like multiple points of this movie. The, from the close-up perspective, the only one that made me like viscerally react was the most extreme one of Anthony Hopkins. The last time that he talks to Clarice through the bars in the makeshift cell, like that one, I one made me want to crawl out of my skin. I'm gonna tell you. I'll tell when we get there. I'll tell you the shot that made me like scream at my TV and like have to ju- like I jumped up off my couch and like couldn't handle it. And it's not gonna be a shot that I think you would expect it to be. Interesting. I'm excited. Granted, there are some shots in this movie I didn't see because <laughs> I closed my eyes. Um. So anyway, the wrap up of the scene is uh, Elector like dressing down Migs. Uh, no, dressing down um, oh. Clarice with the talking oh, about her background. Oh, that's that's an aside in a second. But yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> this is where he's like, "You're a nobody from no town with a n- nobody father," and like, that's the gist of it. it. It's a lot more targeted. He tries a couple tactics actually to throw her off. Um, one is when he's basically saying Crawford sent you because he wants to fuck you. And then he goes for like, clearly like, oh, you came from like a poor, like Mm -hmm. less educated background, kind of going after like a, you're a fraud kind of thing. And Clarice is never shaken. Visibly. Visibly. And I feel like there, she always has a quip back. And I feel like there is, I I mean, I don't think Lecter ever respects anybody. I don't think he's capable of that. But I think that this is where he finds her interesting. Like it, he's like, this is a person who I'm going to be able to toy with longer because they can take it. Well, and to jump way ahead, it's that line at the very end where the world is more interesting with you in it. Yeah. So like it is, I would almost call that respect maybe for the wrong reasons. It's not respect though. Because the minute she stopped being interesting, oh yeah, he'd he would have no qualms about uh, right. And I like again, I just don't think that the, the respect is a thing his character is capable of. Uh, but I I think finding finding someone interesting is the closest it could possibly get. But of course, he finds you interesting if he can just torture you longer. Yeah, which is why he's so terrifying. Yeah, but the the way that she quips back about, hey, are you going to turn these powers of perception against yourself? Like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And his his the one blink that I saw from him the entire film, it's just a slow blink and he turns around and is like, goodbye. I just. Ian just did the slow blink and I did. I didn't like it. Don't stop making a face <laughs> at me. Um. Now, the the interaction, that's a much too nice a way to put it, with Migs on the way out and all of that, just that kind of pissed me off because I'm kind of like, this didn't yeah. need to 
like no i didn't need to have it Meg's again massive trigger warning for this movie in general Meg's fling flings semen on her yeah like it's straight up sexual assault yes which then triggers lector it's interesting because one of the other inmates basically tells on Meg's to lector and then lector calls her back and that's kind of seems to be what makes him sort of decide to help which i was not it's a super he operates by on. a really weird honor code because then he like essentially yes. makes says something to Migs to get he says Migs like to very sexual comments to her multiple times yeah and he tortures Migs and Migs I I guess commit suicide I it's it's never it's, made clear yeah Lecter definitely has a hand in Migs's death yes. But yeah, you're right. It is a weird honor code. And it's like an honor code you don't quite understand. So you're never sure. Like, So you're always off balance? Yes. It's, uh, again, so the, the the writing is really, 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 really good. Oh, it's like the moment, I'm skipping a little bit ahead, but when Lecter escapes and people are worried about Clarice and she's like, he's not going to come after me. Like, I'm not worried about that. This won't make any sense, but he would consider it rude. Because he would. It's it's true. Would. And when you hear her say that, you're like, yeah, he would consider it rude. Like, But like other things he says and does aren't rude. Like it's, it, he, he is operating on like a completely just yeah. different code. I've, I have no clue how to interpret it, but hey, it made sense. So I think the next big kind of sets of scenes are as we get additional background um, from some of Lecter's patients. So he, in some ways, has agreed to, like, help nudge Clarice in the right direction. And she's able to decode his, like, very, how did she put it? It was um, the yourself line that he said was, like, a little too obvious for him. So, like, it was off kilter. And so that leads her to a self-storage unit. Yeah, uh, Lecter loves his his anagrams, too. Um, I think there's an anagram in that one. Just fuck off, you know, Lecter. <laughs> He's got a toy with everybody at all turns. So. <laughs> As the audience, I did not appreciate being toyed with. Um, she violates the number one rule of horror movies and uh, doesn't use the buddy system when she goes to check out this locker. And the whole time, this is this is one of the scenes I was like watching through my fingers because I was like, she's going to find something terrifying. She found multiple things that were terrifying. I mean, did you? I loved loved the nod to birds slash psycho with the one eagle just like out coming out of uh nowhere at least that's how i interpreted it taxidermy in movies never means anything good ever no no but i mean it's all built up to be super creepy because there's lots of cobwebs lots of old furniture in the old car i thought that was a hearse for a second i was surprised to see it was a a hearse but the I think this is the only time that I really felt there was any attempt at a jump scare um, was the reveal of a preserved human head in a jar. Um, I want to know what the fuck was up with that close up on it. It was to scare you, Maggie. It did. That's what was up. It did it. It did the thing. Um, (laughs) Oh, I feel bad for laughing, but like, yeah, it. Again, the building of that suspense and the fact that she had to jack up the door with her own floor jack. (laughs) Well, I think that that's like another just example of showing like how determined she is Mm -hmm. and like capable and resourceful. 
And so composed. She's such a good, strong female character, right? Because like we we see her have moments where she breaks down. Like after she visits Lecter that first time, she's crying by her car and we have the flashback to her father, who we find out was a police officer who was later mm. shot. Um and that her mother had died when she was really young. He was kind of everything she had. So like we and I have to say about these flashbacks, like fairly seamlessly incorporated. I'm not 100% sure I needed them, but like very well incorporated into the main narrative. Well, and I think I did need them because that only served to flesh out Clarice's character and some of her motivations. Because honestly, without some understanding of that background and some understanding of, you know, where the name of the movie comes from, even like you don't really understand why she is so driven, like for whatever reason, I'm going to chalk it up mostly to the performance and the way that they position her character as an underdog. You're rooting for her the whole time. So um, I don't know. I, I ate it up. We did get a lot of her background, though, like when she's taught has those interactions with Lecter at certain points. Um, but I mean, gener- generally, like, like I said, I'm not sure I needed the flashback, but I was completely fine with it. Mm-hmm. But going back to that, like strong female character, like, She's extremely capable in stuff, but she's not just this like emotionless monolith that's like, I'm a strong female character because I can punch things like, you know. Yeah, no, she has emotions. She's a person. She's a person. (laughs) She is. She is a person. And I liked that. I really like her character. And I do think Jodie Foster does a great, great job. So from that head, we do cut back to the asylum very quickly. Clarice is soaked from the rain. And just talking to a dark cell where we see Anthony Cotton's feet. So why, creepy. Why is the prison for the criminally insane so poorly lit? Well, my interpretation of it is fucking Dr. Chilton is being he's an asshole. Psych- he's also a psychopath. Yes. There's the TV there, and Lecter mentions, oh, if you weren't here, it'd be on and it'd be super loud. Like, Chilton also likes to torture things. But Chilton's in a position of authority now. He's the right type of insane, apparently. The right type of insane to get promoted. Exactly. Not the right... No, no, no. Not, right not, not like insane. the ethical type. The, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying, like, the right type of insane to find himself in that position of power where he can treat his wards as he pleases. He's the next lector. He's just a previous evolution. As we find out, he will soon uh, go well with a nice uh, Chianti as... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but he's the one character that I was like legitimately happy was going to meet his demise because I'm like, you're a trash person. When we get to the end, we should talk about that because I think the reason they did that was like so brilliant from a narrative standpoint. Um, but I, I do think that there is something to Chilton of being like, um, like that's who Lecter used to be. Like, he's just a couple of steps, a couple big steps I mean, yeah. away from becoming like Lecter because, uh, Lecter was like this pathologist and this, uh, therapist and psychologist before he mm-hmm. ate his victims. But in that scene, I do appreciate that they are slowly breaking down the rules. She accepts the towel to dry off from the rain. And I'm like, oh, Clarice, this is a slope. You're she sliding. She specifically told not to accept anything exactly. from him, too. 
But every time this like norm or rule is broken, they make kind of a big deal about it. And I really appreciated that because it's again, adding to that, like Clarice herself isn't sure what she should actually be doing here and just kind of flying by the seat of her pants. So you're along for that ride with her. It's the, the relationship between those two characters. It's like they, neither of them trust the other for a second. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's just so well done and acted. And you see it in their, like, and body stressful. language. And the way <laughs> it is stressful. <laughs> and you see it in, like, the body language and how they marry each other. And, like, it, it, this is I, probably a directorial choice. Like, how they transfer the power and the conversation between the two visually as well as in the, the writing and delivery. Um, but one thing that Anthony Hopkins does with this quid pro quo discussion is he turns away from Clarice when he's uh, like analyzing her to say, and then turns to her with this more emotive, more quote unquote human interaction when um, he's like talking to her. And that mode switch again, just gives you that creep factor. It's, it's cool. The idea of the quid pro quo. I think we should talk about this. It's again, part of that weird honor code. Yeah, the whole deal is I will give you something to help you with Buffalo Bill, but you have to give me something personal in return. Number three rule she was told. (laughs) Don't give personal information to the psychopath. Yeah, who will use it to toy with you. But I, I mean, this goes back to her determination, right? Like she knows exactly what he's doing. She knows that he's going to ask for painful things. I, the like very first thing he asks her is like, what's the most painful memory from your childhood? And I was like, okay, so no warm up. We're just going to dive right in. But she tells him because that's what she has to do to get the information to catch the guy and save these mm-hmm. girls. Also would like to point out later that it's not quite a quid pro quo because Lecter never gives her as much as she gives him. Like she always has to do some legwork after he gives her stuff. And so I would like to call bullshit on his deal and Lecter is violating his own code of honor, whatever weird twisted code that is. I mean, I was going to say, I, if you're expecting Lecter to operate under any sort of understandable honor code, uh, did you watch the movie? I wish I hadn't. (laughs) So, um, but this is where they do actually strike some sort of deal. He just wants to be away from Chilton and he will give a profile on Buffalo Bill. And that is when we do get that cut. He says he just wants to be away from Chilton and that's why he wants to go to this other institution. We have uh, the benefit of having seen the whole movie. <laughs> benefit is maybe not the word that you would use. No, but... oh no, no. But like I knew from that moment, I was oh like, that he was being duplicitous. Lecter, yeah. The reason yeah. Lecter does something is, or the reason he says he's doing something is never the reason he's doing Correct. it. Correct. Totally agree. Um, but we do cut to a woman in a car just driving, minding her business. My note is no. I don't want to meet Buffalo Bill. Well, I'm sorry. But. You know, you know what would have made this movie so much better, Ian? If like we'd never even like seen Buffalo Bill. If all this movie was was just interactions between Lecter and Clarice and like they just, you know, the Buffalo Bill mystery was just like a thing that got solved in the background. If like we just skipped the part where they're like, "Oh, we got him." That would have been great. For your mental health, probably. <laughs> 
And honestly, from a representation perspective, yeah, Buffalo Bill needed some work. But um, I did not want to meet him. But we do. And this is, um, I don't know, it's, it's interesting watching this now because the thought of like the whole shtick is Buffalo Bill has his arm in a fake cast and is trying to load a chair into a van. And his victim offers to help. He's like so blatantly bad at loading this chair. It's it's so clearly a ruse. And again, once again, fuck strangers, fuck their vans. I mean, yeah, like I like I said, my takeaway from this movie is I need to not be help. Well, I might help somebody, but I'm not going to be the one backing into the van. No, I saw that happen. I was just like, no, no, bad plan. Such a bad plan. But I just, yeah, no, like you're you're seeing it happen. And just screaming no at your TV. This movie's big on dramatic irony, and that is like, I th- it's a classic thing though for the horror trope, right? Is that you see the bad decision happening, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's the worst feeling, but again, it keeps you off kilter. Like I've been talking about this whole time. I don't like being off kilter, Ian. I like being on kilter. Well, it's so much better. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but also, sorry, they say the movie for that. Uh, I've noticed. <laughs> um, so ne- next group of scenes, they have found another body of a victim of Buffalo Bills. We also established the night vision goggles. Oh, yeah, that's right. We do introduce that in the, the scene of uh, him abducting his uh, next victim. I didn't like this extreme close up on his eyes. I said, I don't want to look into this psycho's eyes. They love doing that to you. I hate it. Make you uncomfortable. So throughout this whole time, they have been cutting back to the FBI training. So I do appreciate that grounding in the fact that Clarice is still very much in training here, progressing, but she's not like a full-on agent yet. Um, But she gets repeatedly pulled off to help investigate with this stuff. Loved the way that they transitioned into this piece with them flying in on this itty-bitty plane with this cramped looking close up into this dreary mountain town. Like it is the way that they are able to use kind of the colorized. I I don't know how colorized it actually would have been in 1991, but this part of the film is like really dark and drab and cold. Like it's dark in tone and in mm -hmm. color palette. So they end up at a, a funeral home. This is where Crawford does that bullshit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, I don't want to talk about this in front of a woman. He he says, like, you know, we should talk about this privately and then very pointedly looks at her so that the sheriff, like, walks off and they, like, talk about it in a closed room. Yeah, she's she's very clearly pissed. We get, again, the shot of all those cops just, like, looking at her. Mm-hmm. Um, from her perspective, we get another flashback to her father's funeral. And then when we move into, like, the coroner's office where they're doing the, like, um, the investigation, the autopsy on the body. I like the moment where she clears out the room. It's such a power. She move. has, she has to say it. Yes, but she has to say it so many times. Yeah, that's true. To get the the cops to leave, and she can't just be like, "Okay, thank you, please go now." She has to couch it in like this overdone compliment of them and their work. Yeah, like you, you did so good so far. Now let us take care of her. She can't just be like, thank you, I'm going to do my job now. Also, why were there like 15 people in that corner's like, I don't know. operating room theater I don't thing? don't know, Ian. 
Is there anything important that happens in the morgue scene? I was oh, closing yes, my eyes there for is a lot of it. A lot that happens in the the morgue scene. So first and foremost, Jodie Foster's performance in the whole thing, I found to be probably the most powerful barring the dark scene in the basement of Buffalo Bills. Like I cried with the way that she like was looking at this victim on the table. Cause like you could tell that she like hurt for the victim, like was sad for the victim had some like emotional response to it in contrast to all of the, the men around her that are just like very business, very, just matter of fact about the whole thing. So like her giving the notes of the autopsy, just like such a good performance. Um, they did show a lot more than I was expecting. Um, yeah, that's why my eyes were closed. So I missed some of that beautiful performance. I will say her voice was very steady though. It's, you saw it on her face. And I think that was the most impressive part of it for me is like, how are you able to show me this? Um, but they do find two things. One, a bug something lodged in the victim's throat, which she preserves. A cocoon. Um, and a different pattern in the um, mutilations, shall, shall we say, than what they had seen prior. So I think those are, are the key plot points, but they had a bunch of really good subtle touches here, like putting the Vicks under their no- nostrils so that when they were going to open this decomposing body like they were not gonna gag um so it it's good and again the sound here with the the like sound of the camera flashing like it 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 was weird because it felt like very clinical and cold on the one hand and then you have Clarice's character kind of bringing it back more to the human element of it so again Jodie Foster's like carrying that for me so that's my thought on that scene. <laughs> I'll trust your interpretation. Um, we do have the bit in the car where Clarice calls out Crawford for what he did, excluding her. And she explains to him that like, because his whole thing is like, he's trying to brush it off. Like, oh yeah, I, I just needed to talk to the sheriff. And I knew like that was the best way to do it. And she's like, the way you treat me matters because you're signaling to everyone else in the room what my standing and authority is. Yeah. And I just, I loved, I loved that line. It's so true. It really is. And he did say that he heard her, but again, I'm not sure if he actually did, but it's better than saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about. So I I don't know. Um, Next beat, we figure out what that thing lodged in the victim's throat is. So she apparently has some friends at, I presume maybe like the Smithsonian or something, some uh, entomologist PhDs, it sounds like, um, which there is that one line about don't mind him. He doesn't have a PhD or something like that, which I'm like, wow, what audacity. (laughs) Um, But they do find out that this is a rare non-native moth species. So that is like a major clue moving forward for them. She also does have to deal with some advances by the one PhD contact that she's been working with. I feel like they, they had like an okay relationship though. Yeah. That, that feels, it it didn't feel lecherous. No, that felt like it was, it was more like, like friendly and like she, she wasn't necessarily like super opposed to it, but it is interesting that like literally anytime she has like any interaction with any man ever, (laughs) 
they hit on her. So part of this as well, we do get like little reveals of um, kind of what's happening in Buffalo Bill's place, which I'm going to mostly gloss over until except for one scene. Um, but it's it's like little things like mannequins and you see the well where he's holding his victims and you do get the scene about uh, it puts the lotion on the skin, which I find to be the creepiest dehumanizing shit. Yes. Well, he's specifically saying it. Yeah. To this to this woman, like addressing her, saying it. So completely dehumanizing her. Um, also, as someone who lives in the desert now, um, I have to keep my skin hydrated, and this has forever ruined it for me. I'm just going to be a scaly motherfucker. You're not going to put the hose on yourself, so I think you're fine. Ian! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to make light of the situation. It's rough. It's rough. It's really rough. I don't. Anyway, but the, what I narratively I found so impactful was the contrast between the um, Catherine, the Catherine Martin, the victim of Buffalo Bill, who is being held. Um, her mother is a senator and is giving a message broadcast that Jodie Foster's character and her friend are able to see. And so you have this humanizing message of like hey kidnapper you have the power to do this and and they talk about how she like repeatedly says Catherine's mm-hmm. name and all of this stuff um but it's because of the scene that happened before it we're seeing her make that message and we know that's not gonna work like exactly we, we know that bill is just fucking psycho and that like that that kind of thing's not gonna work also would like to point out little bit of class commentary here. Uh, they really kick it into gear when the senator's daughter goes missing. They do. Didn't matter when it was a, a when hometown. It was the five, five previous people they were investigating, but they weren't going all out. They weren't yep. offering Hannibal deals or fake deals initially. Well, yeah. So that leads into... I, I didn't know it was a fake deal at the beginning, but Jodie Foster, Clarice, goes and offers what is supposedly a deal from uh, the senator whose daughter was kidnapped. And it is a sweetheart deal. I'm sorry. You should have known that it was a bogus deal when you get a week of vacation on Plum Island. I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, this is, I think, a fault of Lecter that he will never let happen again, is he did actually trust Clarice to a point, like, at her word. I don't I think it was less that he trusted her. He just assumed she was dumber than him. And that there was no way she was going to be able to like pull mm. it over on him. I like that reading better because remember the comment about turning that uh observational power on oneself? Yeah. He's arrogant. Ooh. Hannibal's yeah. exceptionally arrogant. And again, like I don't I don't think things like respect or trust mean anything to him. It's just about like I am superior and let me toy with you like I would ants on a sidewalk. Yeah. But that interaction is, again, beautifully shot. So creepy. We get more quid pro quo. She throws that back in his face, which I loved. Um, And the one shot that really sticks with me is her looking through the glass and you see the reflection of Hannibal just to her... uh, to the left of her face and it's just like so creepy. Yeah, I think this Um, is where he asks for like her worst childhood memory. And I think this is where we get the screaming lambs story, right? No. That's when he's in the the cage and I think it's like Boston. 
Oh, that's right. Because he has not talked about. Here we just know that her father died and that that was like a huge blow to her. And then she was sent to live with an aunt and uncle, I think, Mm -hmm. um, in Montana on a ranch and that she ran away. Mm -hmm. But we don't know why yet. Um, Here's where we also get the inklings that I think Bill was a patient of Lecter's. Right. I was a little hazy on this. I, I, cause it seemed to me like Bill was a patient of Lecter's and that Bill was the one who killed the guy whose head was found in the storage unit as if like almost framing Lecter in some way, because they find a cocoon in that guy's throat too. I hate the sentence I just said. <laughs> it's a, a fucked up sentence, but it's what happened in the movie. So I hate that I had to string those words together. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it was because that that I I think this was also the the part where they talk about and they're using you know terms from the 1990s like transsexual as opposed to you know transgendered. Um, but this is where it's like the movie seems to make an attempt to cover for itself in its depiction of Buffalo Bill because it it does come out that Buffalo Bill has a lot of trauma and the way that that manifests is he's trying to build himself a woman suit. Yeah. Cause he believes that he is a woman. I don't like how, or no, it's that he like wants to be a woman. I th- yeah. think which Lecter says it's because it's the, because he's not transgendered, but he wants to be the thing that he considers farthest from himself because he hates himself. It's, that whole diagnosis is very icky and invalidating. Like yeah. trans folks don't just offhandedly be like, oh, I would prefer to live as the gender I feel given all of the societal baggage that and danger that that comes with. Like, right. Come on. And then you all, but then you also have Lecter saying that Bill isn't transgendered. Yeah. And then it's almost like they try to, take away the fact that he's this horrible person and not have that reflect on trans folks as the whole, but just like the whole setup is so just ill conceived. And you have Jodie Foster's lines where she's saying that like, there's nothing in like literature to suggest that like being transgendered equals being violent. And she, I don't like the way she says it. She says it very archaically and the phrasing's kind of icky, But I think what she's getting to is that, like, it's much more statistically likely for trans people to experience violence than to perpetrate violence. Yeah, be subject to it. But again, it's said in, like, early 90s language. But this is an example of why representation is so important. Because when you have a group of people who isn't commonly represented in media, it means any time they you have a character that is a member of that group or that like an audience might link with a particular group. And as much as you say that Buffalo Bill is not trans, it's the audience is going to link them in their minds. Exactly. And because there isn't a lot of representation, people are going, there's like a lot more pressure and importance on what little representation there is. And having a character from a marginalized group of people be portrayed or, you know, that an audience would associate with a marginalized group of people, be such a negative character can do a lot of harm. Yeah, 
no, I, I, I totally agree I with you I hope that there. made sense. <laughs> I think it did. And that's, that is the thing about Buffalo Bill is, whereas Lecter is complex and believable, like Buffalo Bill has two attributes. He's a s- serial killer who has some sort of psychological thing going on that is also intertwined with his gender expression and that that's like the it with his character. So that that's, that's not a person. <laughs> that's a, a caricature. Yeah. It's so. a really twisted caricature. I mean, yes, I, I second that for sure. Yeah. I think this is the scene where uh Lecter describes another human being as roomy. And I hated that. That was, Yeah, but also very appropriate for the fact that uh, Buffalo Bill is building a skin suit. Which we see at one point, and which one of us was not quick enough with the pillow they were hiding behind. Yeah. Just add that to the list of images I wish I could scrub from my brain. So as part of that scene, we do realize that Chilton, the bastard, has over, like, listening over that conversation. And that leads into him giving a better deal. Because apparently the deal that Clarice gave was not actually from the senator. Yeah, it was a a fake deal that uh, she and Crawford were giving to him in hopes of getting, you know, I think as Crawford says in another scene, like, I had to try something. Like, yeah, it was a risk, but like, we had to do something. So Chilton uh, tattles on them and then offers Lecter the quote unquote better deal. I love there's um, Clarice finds out as she's walking by Chilton giving an interview to the press they ask him, how do you spell that? And uh, my response is, you spell that I apostrophe M D E A D. Yeah, he doesn't realize who he's dealing with. And no. through that whole scene, too, the pen and the fact oh my God. Oh that my God. Chilton is not smart enough to fo- like follow his own rules. He specifically tells Clarice in the first, and I know that this is just a brilliant little bit of writing foreshadowing, but it was driving me up the fucking wall. He specifically tells Clarice, like, don't give him a pencil or a pen or anything. And Chilton fucking leaves his pen, like, Where Lecter in Lecter's cell. Because here's the thing. Chilton also believes that he is better than everyone, but isn't like Lecter. Like, isn't smarter than everyone like Lecter is. They're, like, perfect foils for each other. Uh, it's beautiful. I I love that they flat out say that he believes I'm his nemesis and like actually he is. It's 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 beautiful. I just I mean with Chilton like they just make him so abhorrent and they they kind of have to because Lecter is also so abhorrent mm-hmm. that like you know for the ending and we'll you know say the line when we get there but for that ending to actually like land and work like it it has to be chilton like it has to be someone who is like a character we like absolutely hate yeah i agree and i i i don't know i i love that they do but so the this whole group of scenes is uh leading into hannibal Lecter getting moved to tennessee the iconic mask and straitjacket mm-hmm. and the interaction he has with the senator is he's a he's a sadist like he just all he wants to do is like toy and torture people and that's exactly what he does with the senator because he doesn't have to because i think that's the important thing with this senator is that like there is nothing material 
for him to be gained from messing with her the way he does. He does it because he wants to. He does it because that's how he finds enjoyment. Like, it's just because we've seen kind of this pro quo, quid pro quo and you kind of working a little with Clarice. And I feel like the interaction with the senator is to remind us how dangerous he is and what an absolute monster he is. Yeah. That like him helping Clarice doesn't mean anything about his character. Yeah, not at all. It was a means to get him transferred, really. You have the shot of Chilton needing to sign something and not being able to find his pen like a fucking idiot. Again, more suspense and tension. Um, But he does give a name. And what I love is after he is like all squared away, Clarice is being plucky and sneaking her way in to see Lecter one last time before she is jettisoned from the case. And she knows the name is not real. She knows it's an anagram. Iron sulfide, fool's gold, which is, I mean, that's a little heavy handed. And in a different movie, it would be way too heavy handed. But because of the trappings around it, I'm here for it. Like, he's so pompous. I mean, yes, you're supposed to dislike him, Maggie. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I I don't know what to say. (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) Excuse me while I mansplain characters to you. And I'm so glad you're on this podcast to explain movies to me. Because I'm the one. What would my poor dumb woman brain do without you? Oh, my God. Who? Who? That was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> okay. 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 Back to the movie. Okay, Clarice okay. has her last interaction with uh, Hannibal in person. He is in, I have so many notes on this, like great set design, but why do we just have him in a massive cage in the middle of a historic building? You know what it reminds me of? Did did you watch like the latest season of What We Do in the Shadows? Yes, where they have Guillermo. In the cage in the middle of the room. (laughs) But except for, well, Guillermo is able to just get out anytime. Okay, but see that, that's funny, but it made me think of that and I was like, oh. (laughs) You're so right. But it is like this weird historical courtroom. I don't know. Anyway, it it looked like a museum, honestly. Yeah. It it did not look secure. Uh, No. Not nearly secure enough. They had those like plywood sawhorse barricades to like keep people back. When they have him in like, it's like a a legitimate like giant cage with like Uh bars. And if you remember at the, like the institution, like the Chilton ran, Hannibal's the only one who doesn't have bars. He has glass. Like, for a reason. Yeah. I don't know what that reason is, but it's probably not good. Well, Ian, it's 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 because he killed people and ate them. That's why. I deserve that it's explanation. Because he's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I can return the mansplaining favor. Oh, my goodness. Um, now, this is where we do get the Silence of the Lambs, like the name of the movie why it is that so we get told this like horrifying sad story of when Clarice was a child hearing the spring lambs being slaughtered for market 
and they scream and it's the screams of the lambs. Um, she absconds with one, but ultimately couldn't save it. And that line where it's like, if I could save just one, but he was so heavy, so heavy. And the delivery that she gives in response to this, like icy lector face. This is the Oscar. This is what sealed her Oscar. Oh my God. A hundred percent. This, I was like tearing up at this scene. It's so good. And then the way Lecter takes that and is like, do you still hear them? And she's like, yes. And he's like, so that's why you want to save Catherine Martin. Because if you can save this one girl, it'll make the lamb stop screaming. And this is where his face was the whole damn screen. And I've almost crawled out of my skin. Like, you know what that shot reminds me of? That shot from the original mummy of Karloff. Mm, the extreme yeah. close-up. But again, they're doing that same technique where it's super close close-ups, jumping over that dividing line in the physical space. Like, it's great. This camera needs to learn personal space. The camera does what the camera should. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I well, let me let me pull that back. I loved the effect. Uh the impact maybe less so, like it was creepy as hell. You respected the technique. It, yes, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> um but she's obviously kicked out because of course she's not supposed to I'm be there. I'm furious here because she just tells she gives him the quid and he does not give her the appropriate quo because he's still so vague. Oh yeah. Uh, and he's saying, like, everything you need to know is in the file. And this is where he says the thing where about coveting, where it's, uh, you know, why do you do something? Why, mm-hmm. does, why is he doing this? Because he covets something. How you covet something, you see it every day. Coupled with the drawings of her. No, yeah. that's next. That's next is when they switch and you see that he drew. Because there's the whole thing where he would, like, draw uh, stuff, like, is clearly a very talented artist. And then Chilton takes away his drawings and she, she has brought him back his drawings in this scene as like kind of a, we need to do this. And so then when we cut in the next scene, we see he's drawn her holding a lamb and we're like, okay. In this scene. So Chilton comes and like sees that she's there and is like, get her out of here. She's not supposed to be here. Um, And the guards like are taking her away. And then that's when Hannibal is like, Agent Starling, your file, your case file. And she goes back to get it. And this is the shot that I had of the shots I saw in this movie. I had my eyes closed for quite a few. This is the shot that I had the most like visceral reaction to. Just the little graze of the finger. Yes. The close up of both their hands on the file. And he does like, it's like a caress of her finger. Made you want to crawl out of your skin. Yeah. I want to crawl out of my skin right now thinking about it. It is so like intimate and possessive and I hated it. Yeah, but they made that happen. Like they, they built to what you could argue is the smallest and most inconsequential of moves, but no, it was a big fucking deal. Like again, like, shouted at my TV, jumped up from my couch, had to pause, was like, I hate this movie so much. I, or, I hate watching this movie so much. Like, wanted to crawl out of my skin. Like, I just, ugh. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Oh, yeah. 
once again, had to watch this movie alone. I watched it alone this morning with my blinds open and the sun pouring in. (laughs) Watched it alone on a Friday night. The personal choices that we've all made to expose ourselves to. (laughs) Do not victim blame me in this moment. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Should I have watched it in the middle of daylight? Potentially. But where my TV is, there would have been a lot of glare on the screen. And so I didn't. I mean, you could have watched it on your phone to minimize the like. I thought about it. (laughs) I also had the subtitles on so that I didn't have to turn it up super loud. Mm. It's not a bad plan, but the sound was transplendent. So, uh, I mean, I thought it loud enough to where the sounds like affected me because I had to know when I was safe to like open my eyes again. So we shit's like already kind of hitting the fan, but really about to hit the fan. The scene where he outsmarts the guards is the escape. I'll let you describe most of this because I confess had my eyes closed through like a huge portion of this. It. Parts of it are real rough and very gory, which like it, it's weird because this is almost like a slasher film where you get the results of the slashing, but you don't see the act of slashing. I mean, you do a little bit in the scene, but anyway, it's sorry. That's a, a, an aside, but they are bringing him his dinner and we can see the pen part the whole time that he has that he has stolen from Chilton's pen. But the way that they pan to the cops just doing their shit, opening the gate, putting the tray on the table, but moving the paintings first, like all that little stuff with Hannibal out of view is, again, building that tension so well. But we pan back and Hannibal handcuffs the one cop to the the bars. Um, I think he ends up giving the nurse treatment to the other one, um, which was very weird to see. And I'm kind of wishing I didn't see it. But anyway, like attacks the one cop, sprays him with mace, and then beats the other cop to death. We fortunately don't get to not see the impacts of that, but we do see some splatter and we do see the aftermath, which is um, gory. But in some ways I found that easier to see than some of the, the photos of, Buffalo Bills victims. I, that was weird to me that that was like, I don't know. But the whole time here too, they have this like piano concerto thing playing in the background. That's like this very buttoned up, almost pastoral music to this intense violence. And that just like contrast. I, it's this thin veil of like propriety uh, culture, culture. Yeah. And like, intellect that like is just over top of like this absolute monstrosity. Like I I think, I think based, based on what you described and based on what I heard, um, I feel like that scene is just like, it's Hannibal as a character right there. Yeah, it is 100% him. And I mean, the ending to that where he picks up what looks like a straight razor and says, all right, Pembry, I'm ready. I heard him say that. And I, died inside and all you see on the frame is him walk out of the cell with the one beaten cop on the ground and him walking away and it, it cuts away from that scene but you you don't you don't want to know what's about to happen so um there's the editing nom they give us just enough to like 
have nightmares and to where it's like, and again, it's like, um, it's like better and worse that you don't see it. Right. Yeah. Cause like when you're not stuck with the visual with, if you're a very visual person, thank God you don't have that visual. But at the same time, it's like, well, Your now you don't see it. So like, yeah, it's worse. Now, how much of the, like they immediately realize something is wrong. They have the whole elevator thing where it's like, Hey, why are people up on these floors? Yeah. So I was watching the elevator, but I was watching it like this. Okay. Through like a teeny tiny crack in my fingers. I mean, broad strokes are they get up to the room. They find everybody dead. They find who they believe is Pembry who's still alive on the floor with a facial structure that was very much like Anthony Hopkins facial structure. They telegraphed this a little too strongly. Cause it's like, he's quote unquote Pembry is very bloody. Like his face is very bloody and he's like barely wheezing breath. So they're mm-hmm. like, we need an ambulance. We got to get Pembry out of here. And then we need to find Lecter. There's a moment where you have that younger cop and the older cops like talk to him, talk to him. Um, and the younger cops like being like, I don't know what to say. And so the guy says, hold on, I need to find Pembry's full name. The older cop goes, that's Jim Pembry do something. And at that moment I was like, it's not Jim Pembry. Like, I I just think they telegraphed that too hard. Well, I enjoyed it because the people in the film didn't know. But I well, know but yeah, immediately. That just heightens the whole thing. Cause you're like, holy shit. They're about to take Lecter out of their own volition. He counted Monte cristo them. Yeah. There's that culture. <laughs> but the, the one scene that is going to stick with me and it is, uh, super disturbing is the other cop strung up as if on a cross with American flag, like ish backlit think backlit. It's just like, yeah, unfortunately shit. saw that. Yeah. It's opened uh, my a eyes lot. a little too early, but I do love the suspense that they build with the blood dripping from the elevator. It's so good. Which I, I thought for a moment, I, because you have a quote unquote Pembry on the gurney and then you see like the blood drip down. They look up and clearly like around the hatch and the top of the elevator, there's like blood seeping through. And I thought they're going to realize it's not Pembry on the gurney. They're going to realize it's Lecter. And then yeah, he's going to like there to make you more annoyed with their people. choices. Um, I was like, we're going to have an elevator slaughter now, but instead they assume that it's an injured Lecter on top of the elevator using people's assumptions against them and also building that tension. So they wheel Lecter out to the ambulance and then they finally like investigate this body on the elevator and you realize it's Pembry. But again, the way that they edited this together with seeing the reveal of Lecter and then the person running from the dropped phone to notify everybody and like, and then the cut to Lecter in the ambulance. Uh-huh. Taking off. Pembry's face. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. He was wearing Pembry's face. I wanted to do like just more of a scream, but I'm trying not to peak my audio. <laughs> so we cut to Clarice and her one friend who I don't think we ever get her name, do we? I think we do. I liked her a lot. Casey, maybe? I think it's Ardelia. Oh, Casey Lemons is the name of the, is the actress. Actor. Yeah. 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 Ardelia. She's good. Mm-hmm. I like their scenes together. 
I did too. And it's like, it gets Clarice to a point where she's like, okay, fucking, I'm going to go and investigate this. And they get hung up on the covet. Like, what do you see every day? First victim. That's who we need to investigate. Yeah, it, the first victim and the first victim was the only one that was weighed down. So it was actually the third person found. So the idea is that like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Because that person could be tied to you. Yeah. So the investigation that Clarice goes on, like they, it held my attention despite the fact it was so like slow, like going to the first victim's house and going through her things and that music box, which holy shit was that music box music creepy. When, when the music like dies out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, but the final shot that kills me is the view of the dress in the closet with the diamonds in fabric and it matched, which I know because you didn't look, it matched the mutilations on the body. And so it was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Um, so that's when she gets the name of the person who, because at, at this point, I think she, I think Lecter, did Lecter actually give her, somebody has given her, like, she's gotten the name, the, like, um whatever name it is the i thought she did but Not she there but is... no one's recognized that name cuz she's asking like did your friend know a this person or something so she and... was given a name by a red herring person that lecter gave the fbi so right which is nobody recognizes it for those reasons but through her investigations she is led to a um a particular woman's house who was a seamstress had some business going on at the same time we see Crawford and his crew getting a SWAT team in on a house outside of Chicago. The editing's fucking brilliant here. Oh my God. The misdirect. Yeah. Because we're cutting in between Clarice Crawford and Catherine and Bill, which Catherine has balls. Love her. Bill has this little dog that he, Oh my God. This root like, Oh, so Catherine, has been as like lures precious and because there's like the bucket that he would like send stuff down into the pit for. And then she uses like that and a bone to lure the dog and scoop the dog in the bucket and is now holding the dog hostage. And then is trying, is telling Bill like, I will hurt your dog if you don't let me out. It's Brilliant. a ballsy move. Now, before this, we did get the one uh, scene that I'm sure most people have heard about where Buffalo Bill is dancing in front of the mirror. Um, that was way before, but... It is a visual that I will never be able to forget, and dear God, I wish I could. Yeah, it again, it plays it plays up the quote-unquote like deviancy of this character, and given the way that he's coded, like... I don't appreciate it. It's a scene that's so icky on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I love here is when the SWAT team, did you, did you say that part yet or no? Hold on. No, I'm getting there. So you have Catherine holding the dog hostage. We know that Clarice is going to this woman's house. We know the SWAT team's on their way somewhere. We don't know where. And Bill is so mad at Catherine for this dog He's gone and gotten a pistol and he is like 
on his way at this point to go back and shoot Catherine. She is saved by the sound of a doorbell. And we've seen the SWAT team with somebody up at a door ringing a doorbell. And then we see Bill open the door and it's Clarice. So we know the SWAT team is at the wrong house. And we know Clarice is in fucking danger. Like, oh my God. Oh my God, the tension. But the tracking shot that they have of her just walking in from her point of view of this like old, dark, cluttered, dilapidated house is just, oh. This man is clearly a serial killer. You clearly have the right place. Art direction doing the most. Yeah. And, and we know, I love the, the cut to the fact that he has a gun, but it's out of her sight too. This is This whole movie is an amazing study in like, giving us the right information, at least in my opinion. It's like, we have the information to know that this is going to be like, it's going to go down, but she puts two and two together. They're chatting in kind of the living room. She sees the moth Mm -hmm. and just the, can I use your phone? I think that's also Bill now knows the jig is up. Well, yeah, because he's asking those leading questions about like, oh, is there anybody? And Is there any, did you find any fingerprints? Mm. So he runs away. She pulls the the gun first. Oh, she does. She's like, you're under arrest. And he he essentially runs away, which I'm kind of like, okay, Clarice, this is badass. But also you are alone. Nobody knows you went here as far as we can tell. Like, what are you doing? I think she did tell Crawford that she was going to go check out this woman's house. Okay, good. Because still, still, I'm just like... But again, like, buddy system. Yeah, yeah. But the... I very much appreciate the fact that as part of her training, they did have a scene where she did not clear the course correctly and failed that particular Check your corners. So, like, the whole time I was like, Clarice, please check your corners, because she goes down this really cramped stairway into Buffalo Bill's hallways of horror. Um, This is where we do get a brief view of that suit that you mentioned earlier. Um, It was a thing. Disturbing. Um, But again, the tension that they build here with all of the closed doors and the creepy music in the background and the barks of precious coming up it's just Catherine's like utter chaos oh god like and i i get it because she's like are you gonna leave me don't leave me don't leave me all that fun stuff but but you're also like Catherine, shut up oh my god and the off angles and then just the random moths just flying around it's just this whole creepy creep fest it's oh and then the lights go down Oh my god. Okay. So we had introduced the night goggles previously. You have from Buffalo Bill's point of view, looking through the night goggles, you have I I wonder if like the set was fully dark at the time, because if not, Jodie Foster's ability to act like she can't see is fantastic. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. She's stumbling around. Like obviously doesn't know where she is. Uh the sound, we can just hear her panicked breathing. And then you are tracking her with these goggles and you just see. When he reaches out to touch her, that's the creepiest shit. No, the thing is, though, he's not touching her. He's just getting as 
it's just his hand that you can see in frame because again you're kind of like his point of view it's like it he's basically doing the i'm not touching you like getting as close as he possibly can without touching her so she doesn't know he's there and how close he is to her and it is so incredibly disturbing like he's still just toying with her yeah but his giveaway is when he cocks his pistol i love that there is no there is no flash to this she just turns around and starts shooting yeah yeah and the fact that she shoots out the window and all of a sudden you can see buffalo bill very much dead on the floor is just like big sigh of just like oh oh my goodness I actually really like the ending of that character of Buffalo Bill. Like it was tense, but they didn't get the pomp and circumstance. No, I like that. I like that. It's like, no, he, he just dies. It's perfect. Did you notice that when she shot the window, it looked like there might've been a military helmet and an American flag, like hanging out there. Or was that me totally misreading? I was still watching this part between my fingers. So my field of view was a little limited. I didn't know if that was like intended to be some explanation of Buffalo Bill's background, but anyway. We don't really get a full explanation of his background in childhood. I think it's just kind of like implied that like some fucked up stuff happened to him. Mm. But at the same time, I was like, I almost kind of appreciated that. Right. Cause like, I kind of liked that, like, there wasn't an attempt to, like, excuse his behavior or justify it in a certain to a certain extent. Like, it was just like, this person's a monster. Also, I don't want I don't want to say that Lecter's a bigger monster. Like, they're both monsters. They're just scary in very different ways. Yeah, I would say that Lecter's a bigger monster, though. Like, Lecter will physically harm you and mentally fuck you up. Like. I find him to be the more dangerous of the two, but that's just me. I mean, as as a woman, the one that's like just straight up victimizing women and exclusively women, yeah, is pretty damn frightening. Yeah, that feels a lot more targeted. Like I'm not, I'm not one elector's patients. I am just a woman trying to go about my day. So, yeah. There's a lot of monsters in this movie. They're there all really are. Frightening in different ways. And the I I actually did love the cut to the aftermath of all that with the ambulances and getting everybody out. And I kind of like that Catherine still has Precious the dog. Yeah. That that is kind of like okay, cool. They're both going to be out of a bad situation uh, and better. And then Crawford actually shields. Um, Clarice from the press, which I find to be like, actually, I, I'm not sure if uh, like on the one hand, it's very paternal and I'm not sure that I like that. But on the other hand, like there is some relationship there that is like, has a level of caring, not in like a sexual way, like Hannibal was trying to make it, but like, but I'm not sure how to feel based about it. On the last scene, like you're never quite sure. Yeah, it is where like there's a, there's enough gray area around like Clarice and Crawford that you're not ever a hundred percent sure what Crawford's motives are. Yeah, which I think is interesting. Like they're clearly not as sinister as like Hannibal's or Chilton or but you're still like is he as bad as them and has just channeled it into something that we see as good? 
I mean, again, I feel like the the only one of the only characters we can ever really be sure of in the movie is Clarice. Yeah. So anyway, we cut to uh, the graduation. Clarice graduates. We get the the whole tone of the movie changes. Like literally, it gets warm and friendly, and like we survived. Like that sort of part of the horror film. Um, we do get that interaction that you mentioned, but Clarice gets a phone call, a phone call from Lecter. And we see him sitting at this like little bar as folks are deplaning on this little Island. And who do we see? Well, first he says, um, I'm not going to come after you. I expect you to return the favor or will you return the favor? And her response is, you know, I can't do that. Or can't promise that. Which that phrasing, I think, is so important. I loved that. You're right. You're right. You know, I can't promise that. Basically saying, I'm not going to intentionally go after you right now. But if you give me a reason to, I'm going to. So, like, again, setting up this, like, cat and mouse between them. And then he says the, like... Um, like, I have to go. I'm having an old friend for dinner. And we see Chilton get off the plane. Which, again, I feel kind of bad, like, rooting for Lecture to... It, the choice of it being Chilton's really important from a writing standpoint, right? Like, that ending doesn't land if it is Crawford or, like, some, oh, like, a character that not. we don't despise as much as we despise Chilton. So, like, you know, it's it's more palatable as an audience to see a monster go after another monster. Yeah. And Hannibal's still out there, which I think is, you know, the creepiest ending. I mean, you know, it's the classic horror movie. You can't ever really be sure if the killer's out of the picture. Yeah. So this was actually really good. And I, I well, I know that you wanted to look away and did look away for like very valid reasons, but like, I was gripped the entire time. Like, it's good. Again, I mean, it's well done. It accomplished what it wanted to. I just didn't like what it wanted to accomplish. That's that's a fair a fair read of that. So, this is going to be really hard for me to place because it is it is one of those like I have to respect it from a movie making standpoint, but I never want to watch it again. So, this is hard because. It's just difficult. And so I I don't know. The execution of this movie, in my opinion, is near flawless. Could a couple things been changed? Yes. Is the premise really horrible and hard to watch? Yes. Um, but for me, I'm actually going to put it at number 10. Whoa. Yeah. So that puts it one before one flew over the cuckoo's nest and one after Tom Jones. So kind of like I mentioned earlier, I did see some parallels between those two movies in terms of kind of the horror of it all. I personally found that the characterizations were much more grounded on the whole. Now, like the performances in and of themselves, if they were not in the context of the movie, I would find to be laughably over the top. Like Anthony Hopkins character without the rest of the film behind it wouldn't have been like 
good, I don't think. But because of the way everything came together, it's astounding and very much deserving of that win. Um, so I don't know. That, that villain I found to be just better than Nurse Ratchet. Like, I know that's, I don't know. He, it, it's creepier. And we got two really creepy villains. Now, I like fully recognize the representation issues with Buffalo Bill. Um, and so I, that is a big black mark on Science of the Lambs, I think. Um, but that's that's why I think it's better than Cuckoo. Um, now, Tom Jones is a delight and did a lot of fun, shall I say, innovative things with the editing and the comedy and is a delight to watch. I will watch it again many times. Just liked it more. Like, was it as well executed? Maybe not. But like the enjoyment factor wins out. Cool. Um, I am putting Silence of the Lambs not as high as you did, but it's my new number 26. So still pretty high. Um, I'm putting it after The Apartment because I just, The Apartment, I don't, I think it's just more grounded in reality and stuff. I, I liked some of the cinematography in it a little bit more, I think. But again, I'm a sucker for black and white cinematography. Um, it's also a lot more palatable to watch. This puts it right above The Sting, though. Now, The Sting, I definitely enjoyed a lot more. I will definitely watch again. And I do think The Sting is impeccably well-written and paced and edited um, because of the type of story it's trying to tell with the con. I think it has to kind of, like, thread the needle on a lot of that stuff um, that it does, and it does it impeccably well. The execution's all there. It's not really going for more and like as much as a lot of the stuff in silence of the lambs bothered me like i do think there is some interesting stuff being said and like i i think you know hopkins and foster are both like absolutely crushing it from a performance standpoint um i think like you know, especially the character of Clarice, I really like and I find like really interesting and is definitely more complicated than anything you're seeing in The Sting. So I'm going to slot it in at 26. I just, I can't put it higher because like I didn't enjoy it. No, I get that. And I mean, we're at the point where there's a lot of good film that we've watched. Yeah. There's a lot of bad film we've watched, but like it's your list. Do with it as you please. Thank there are you. some wrong answers, though, so avoid those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, Broadway Melody shouldn't be my number one. What? It's not? I thought it was. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is Silence of the Lambs. So uh, if you're up for the uh, gut punch of a movie, it's a really good gut punch. Watch with caution. Yeah, definitely. So next time, I believe we are doing Unforgiven from 1992. It's a Clint Eastwood. Yeah, we're actually we're actually back on a Western. Um, I have seen Unforgiven before, and I remember it being quite good. Wow, we are on a Western kick, aren't we? We are on a Western <laughs> kick. Um, yeah, uh, and then I think a few, a couple episodes after that, I think we'll be at our hundredth episode, and we've got something kind of cool planned. So definitely make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss that. Also, rate and review. Um, follow us on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can also email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. And uh, yeah, join us next time for the, un- not the, sorry, there is no article, just Unforgiven.